People, three quick things you can do to support me and support the Value Economics Podcast. Number one, subscribe to the Value Economics Podcast. Number two, leave a five-star rating if we deserve it. Number three, if we deserve it further, leave a review. Something nice, something mean, whatever you value. I don't care. Let's get into the show. Everybody's got to Value Economics Podcast. Six million ways to die. Choose one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Value Economics Podcast. Can you dig it? I can. And especially because we are kicking off a new type of content piece here on the podcast. This is going to be our more short form. So I'm going to be doing a new piece of weekly content every single week, topical content. One is going to be, as you saw last week, and you're going to see this upcoming week, every other week is going to be a longer, more informed discussion, sort of more of a thorough argument than everything else. And these ones, I'm really excited to say, are going to be more topical, pointed, and monologue-esque, which are going to be super fun. I've really been, I would say, practicing this, and it's kind of almost going to be, I would say, like one of the intros for the other podcasts, but not entirely in-depth as the other ones. So it's more meant to be a conversation starter, a think piece, all of those type of things, and I'm very, very excited about it. I'm very excited to kick it off with this one. I didn't know what I was going to start this series with, but I wanted, or not the series, but this uh, type of content with, but it's been really interesting to kind of observe a lot of things that I that has been going on, some of the conversations that have been having recently, and I think that are going to shape this next year especially, and things that have made me think, made me feel things, made me question other people, made me question myself, and done a lot of other just introspection on these type of ideas and where we want to go moving forward. So with that being said, I want to just get right into it and then get you guys out of here quick and easy for the start of this week. So I've come to believe that the clearest indicator of someone's intelligence is when that person gets you to question one of your deeply held beliefs. This experience is one that is jarring, but one that is necessary. If you're driven by values, it shouldn't happen often. However, when it does, the impact it has on you is perhaps more startling than if you are not a value-driven person. The last time this happened to me was on August 25th, 2023. That day, Jason Whitlock hosted presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on his show for the second time. Whitlock, perhaps the most blunt critic of modern culture we have in America, had a lot to slam RFK Jr. on. Noted for his Christian conservatism, Whitlock had thought was thought to have disagreed with Kennedy on almost everything his platform had championed. Yet this was far from the case. In his latest interview with Megyn Kelly, Whitlock affirmed that Bobby Kennedy Jr. was someone who he had tremendous respect for. While he wouldn't come in over the top of someone like Vivek Ramaswamy and certainly not Donald Trump, Whitlock was an admirer of Kennedy for multiple reasons. The two people who were diametrically opposed, or for two people, excuse me, that were who were opposed on diametrically ish, diametric issues, major labels such as abortion and government handouts, this is a shocking thing to hear. But when asked why, the answer was crystal clear. Whitlock said that he respected Kennedy due to his masculine urge to take risks, to say the unsayable, to put his balls and reputation on the line for the things that he believed. He was courageous, something that Whitlock had correctly stated as being discouraged amongst Americans, particularly American men. Nonetheless, this did not disqualify Whitlock from doing what any good journalist does, ask honest and tough questions. A lot of people have had a lot of opinions about him and have for his 30 years as a cultural and sports commentator and journalist. Most of those comments, either in critique or support, are warranted. But the one thing you cannot say about Whitlock is that he doesn't allow the other side to say what they would like to say. He allows them to either pull themselves up or hang themselves, which always makes for an enthralling discussion. One of Whitlock's issues with RFK Jr. was his stance on affirmative action. 
Affirmative Action, the landmark civil rights case that gave preferential treatment to American minorities, had just been overturned by the Supreme Court. Whitlock, a black man, was a tremendous supporter of this. He viewed it as unconstitutional, unfair, anti-white, and anti-man. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., however, did not view it this way. He was a tremendous supporter of affirmative action. The legacy of the civil rights movement that was helped made mainstream by his father and his uncle had resonated deeply with Kennedy. He, for his whole life, had always looked to help elevate others, particularly those who he viewed as disadvantaged. His mother founded the Special Olympics, for example. He was not a fan of the pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps approach. While he believed in autonomy, he also believed in helping those whom he felt deserved it. Being the interviewer in command of the questioning, Whitlock challenged Kennedy's argument point-blank. Was it really fair that some people, regardless of whether they were viewed as privileged or not, were given certain advantages over those based on nothing but predisposed characteristics? Whitlock, like many who stonewall arguments effectively, thought he had RFK cornered. However, in a shift no one saw coming, Kennedy quickly weaved out of the corner and threw Whitlock back in. Kennedy's argument for upholding affirmative action, particularly in the higher education space, was simple. For hundreds of years, countless families, particularly among the Ivy League universities, had held a stranglehold on college admissions. They donated money to make sure their kids got in, regardless of their merit and what they wanted to pursue. They dined at all the right places. They licked the right boots. They sent Christmas cards to the right addresses. Their elitism had permeated the cultural veneer was a trickle-down effect, but only to a certain group of people. Kennedy's point, therefore, was this. If universities do nothing about legacy admissions or people of privilege and wealth, how is this any different than affirmative action? Particularly in the case of children who have done nothing to accrue that privilege and wealth, is it really much different than their gender or skin color? Is the discrimination really that apparent to where we needed to take further action than needed? This comment made Whitlock stumble. A very careful speaker, this is very unusual to hear, and it caught my ear immediately. It was apparent from this moment Kennedy spoke up. Whitlock eventually countered, still putting forth his argument that discrimination based on immutable characteristics was equivalent no matter which direction it went, which is an obvious truth, by the way. However, Whitlock never came around to say that Kennedy's point about elitism being an equivalent vice to affirmative action was inherently incorrect. The reason that Jason Whitlock, a very smart person, could not do this to Robert F. Kennedy, Kennedy's, also a very smart person's point, was that Kennedy was right. There is no difference between affirmative action and elitism. As Eminem might say, should he have an opinion on affirmative action, same shit, different toilet. As a person who grew up in a staunchly Republican household where affirmative action was loathed, this argument from Kennedy was a difficult one to process and swallow. I was raised as a strict meritocrat. I'm proud to say that I still am. However, as I've left Republican politics behind for the ne nebulous and ever-shifting reality of my own political ideology, I've begun to see that the affirmative action argument that was used by Republicans for decades was, to a large degree, highly flawed. The argument that is proposed by primarily right-leaning folks about affirmative action is simple. People should be judged on their merit, not by who they claim to be. And this argument is 100% correct. The problem beneath the argument, however, is a totally different matter entirely. The same people on the right who claimed this were often committing an adjacent sin. While it may not have been race or sex, it was certainly other things. That adjacent sin committed was elitism. Elitism, the granting of privilege on those who least deserve it, perhaps is perhaps the biggest outward vice in our culture today. It's the reason our institutions are rotting into garbage. It's the reasons why families are falling apart. It's the reasons why no one can seem to find anything to look up to, anyone to look up to in the world. It's the ultimate festering of narcissism, the final destination for the inherent self-centeredness of man to finally implode in on itself like a dying star. 
So while maybe not possessing the immutable characteristics of someone who may be a candidate for affirmative action, new categories were made up for, pe for those people. They were of, quote, good stock. They networked properly with the right people. Their, fa their parents did favors for one another in vacation in Aspen and the Hamptons. They occasionally put in a good word for a highway patrol officer or a local mayoral candidate should it be needed. While less apparent than those who beat the affirmative action drum, the elitism drum was increasing in tempo at just as brisk of a pace. And the left is not immune to this either, by the way. As the affirmative action argument began to take more of a beating, they started to catch on to what their frenemies on the right were doing. So, after a while, they began to join. Their cabal of elitism, after coming to the realization they would go much farther together than apart, proceeded to create our modern ruling class, where no one, regardless of political affiliation, is held to any standard, save for that of their status. This has not only shunned merit, but shunned any individual difference at all, which is exactly the point of the affirmative action movement. As DJ Khaled might say, should he have an opinion on affirmative action, congratulations, you played yourself. The question must be asked, what should be done about this? Who is right, Kennedy or Whitlock? And the second question is the easier one, because they both are. Race and gender-based affirmative action is wrong. Closeted elitism is also wrong. So, to break the tie, we would be wise to ask a second question. Which one is more dangerous? Which one has caused more harm? For this question, there is a clear right answer. Kennedy and his comment, a commentary on elitism absolutely reigns supreme when painted in this light. There is no greater cancer that is toxifying our culture more than elitism. Our elites, having run completely unchecked until very recently, have hollowed out our country like a jack-o'-lantern. They've gut completely gutted most meaning from most people, raped and pillaged the American dream by gorging themselves on their own excesses. The victims of elitism are people of all genders, all races, all immutable characteristics. Our elites have many things in common, but one thing in particular is this argument. They all play for the same team. They may pretend to wear different jerseys and say mean things to one another on X, but when it comes down to it, they're all there for the same purpose. To preserve their status, their hierarchy, their domination and inherent subjugation over others, over you. This is their game, wide open for anyone who has clear eyes to gaze upon. While I don't believe affirmative action be the, to be the antidote to elitism completely, as Kennedy stated it was, I do believe in the sentiment overall. The reason why Whitlock didn't push back harder against Kennedy is the same as mine. As much as he and I may despise the core premise of affirmative action, as I certainly do, we both know that elitism is the greater dragon to slay. It is important, as Patrick Bet David, who most definitely has an opinion on affirmative action and will tell you whether you ask him to or not, might say, to choose your enemies wisely. And that's it, guys. That is it for this week. We're going to have another great interview coming up later on uh, later on in the week on Wednesday. Then we have our weekly newsletter at the end of the week. So I will see you guys on those two slots on the podcast and on the Substack. Value Economics, Toxic Maturity, Value Economics Academy, all live now. I will see you guys then. Open your mind. Own the day. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening.